Welcome to the Poverty Policy Podcast. This podcast is a production of the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council, and I am Regina Reed, your host. On this podcast, we explore issues related to poverty and homelessness, along with the policy implications and solutions. This episode is on vaccines, specifically the COVID-19 vaccine. I speak with Katie League, my colleague on the policy team at the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council and author of our latest issue brief on vaccines. Katie has years of experience working on the front lines of healthcare for people living in poverty. I'm also joined by David Peary, a member of the board of directors at the council and co-chair of the council's National Consumer Advisory Board. David is a career advocate for the rights of people experiencing homelessness in Miami, Florida, and he most recently participated in a vaccine clinical trial. I need to note that due to technical difficulties, I lost the audio for the first few minutes of this conversation where David was telling his story about his time in the vaccine trial. The audio picks up in the middle of him talking about this, and I think you'll agree that the conversation that did manage to be recorded is very, very much worth a listen. And as always, to note the timeline, this podcast was recorded in late December of 2020, just as two vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna were beginning to be distributed. So keep that in mind as you're listening. Let's get started. So I really felt a strong responsibility, particularly because I'm an African-American male, to um, be part of this um, test protocol. You know, because as I said, we're the ones who are being infected and we're the ones who are disproportionately being uh, dying. I understand the stats, and you may correct me on this, that I think that Black males are twice as likely to die from COVID as a general population. You know, so Mm -hmm. slight excitement, slight apprehension, you know, excitement that that I was actually going to do something that, that, that would be for the greater good. You know, apprehension that this is an experimental vaccine. In fact, messenger RNA has never been used before in a vaccine. This is the very first time this has ever been done. You know, so no one really knows on a large scale, you know, how it's going to all pan out. So I, I just felt this was extremely important, you know, for, for me to do. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing. Um, I want to come back to some of the points you mentioned. First, I want to go to Katie. Katie, I know you authored a brief on vaccines for the healthcare for the homeless community. We will link that brief in the show notes. And to what David just mentioned, I will also um, link some data on health disparities with COVID mortality as a a form of a fact check for what we're mentioning here. But um, Katie, will you tell us more about key takeaways of the brief? Absolutely. David, first, thank you for sharing your story. And um, I think just the the representation, I've read through a bit of the data from Moderna and Pfizer and the representation, particularly in the um, Moderna study of from people of color um, is, is very strong and having that representation in the trial study, I think made mountains of difference and hopefully will make a significant impact in people's comfort of getting vaccinated. So yes, I when I joined, I joined the council just in the beginning of November. Uh, so I got to come in as I began to talk in more earnest about the vaccines. Each state has really been given the task of coming up with a plan for how they get those vaccines out into their respective communities. So our issue brief talks about how varied they really are um, and that through no fault of the states, but they had to go make these decisions or make 
of a template of an idea, prioritization groups, um, without any specific recommendations. So we talk a little bit about the, the strengths and challenges that the states face when making these plans, um, even just defining what those at-risk categories are. Uh, and since then, and, and when we wrote the issue brief, we knew that the CDC had made specific recommendations prioritizing um, people who work in healthcare, uh, and they defined that very broadly to include all healthcare settings um, and anyone who worked within the healthcare setting, not just um, patient-facing or client-facing staff, and then residents of long-term care facilities. Um, our issue brief also talks about some of the barriers that we know that states will face, that the nation will face to get people vaccinated and to implement a successful vaccine plan. Um, so the, the first and, and most important that needs to be discussed and brought to the forefront of every conversation is the lack of trust, particularly among the communities of color. Um, and because of historic mistreatment, of ongoing mistreatment in the healthcare system, um, and that that lack of trust cannot be overemphasized and needs to be a part of every conversation. And then the issue brief talks about key action steps, and we, we give a list of about 10. The most important that we feel is making sure that uh, organizations that represent and work with and for individuals experiencing homelessness um, get to the table with their local, state, and regional health departments. Know where you're not just the staff, but also the clients you serve are being prioritized within your state, what the plan is to get them to your sites, and what internal prioritization groups you might need to make if you are not given enough vaccines to vaccinate, vaccinate your entire community at once. Vaccine ambassadors, we heard this from all of our focus group participants, um, this term vaccine ambassadors, I want to give Boston Healthcare for the Homeless credit for, for putting it in my ear, um, although they may not have originated the term, but having ambassadors within those communities who can talk about their experiences, who are willing to get vaccinated. Research is showing that they are instrumental in moving people from a place of maybe and even from a place of no, I'm not willing to get the vaccine to, to yes, I am willing. So I think people just like David, uh, he is to me... Um, an ideal vaccine ambassador, I think are absolutely essential. So those are some of the key pieces that we discussed in our um, issue brief. Yeah, and I would argue that because of the special healthcare considerations that come from living outside on city streets, that the vulnerabilities of people that live on the streets, and I believe that they should be, um, prioritize that the people experiencing homelessness should be in their own separate um, priority category. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and David, I think um, that was an, an elegant pivot to the policy piece of this conversation. What we're talking about here are the nuances of each state and locality figuring out the policies for, for how they will get the vaccine out. Having states have flexibility to do things that works best for them isn't inherently good or inherently bad. 
but there are good and bad things that may come from it. So do you want to say more about? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's hard to argue against the governor's desire to prioritize people in nursing homes. So, so it's, it's, you know, I, I do think that that's probably a good thing to, to, to target and, and to prioritize in terms of policies though. I, 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 again, think that we need to pay more attention to the people who are living on the streets um, who unfortunately don't vote in the same numbers as the elderly, but they're the ones that are dying as much as the elderly. But the thing is that we don't have as good of statistics and an understanding of the situation on the streets. They don't give stats. We don't keep stats here in, um, in here in South Florida or Florida in general on morbidity and mortality of people experiencing um, homelessness. From, from a policy perspective, um, we, we need to make changes, you know, in terms of monitoring and understanding the scope of the problem. Great point, David. And I will link the homeless mortality data toolkit on how to build more homeless mortality data work in your locality for anyone listening. Katie, do you want to add anything about on the policy note? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think everything David said is is spot on. Um, the access to healthcare in general is being highlighted both in those experiencing illness um, and is going to be highlighted in the vaccination process. I think that thinking of things like single payer system um, and how that would ease the burden on individuals to get the vaccine if and when they are ready to be vaccinated. Um, but even at a, at a broader point, it would also impact the way in which governors and states are being asked to create these prioritization structures. It was somewhat alarming and, and, and hard to listen to some of the conversations happening as the CDC was taking in considerations for what recommendations they were going to make. And they were talking about things such as the death toll cost and weighing it with a financial cost and actually who they prioritized was only going to have a positive impact on one of those two groups. It is not too late for federal guidance on vaccine vaccine distribution. Um, and I anticipate, based on the information that we are hearing and Biden, the Biden-Harris team's transition team's recent appointment of their COVID task force, and um, I believe we will be getting stronger guidance towards the end of January from the Biden-Harris administration. From what I've under what I've been able to read and understand, um, states will welcome that guidance. It's not too late for that policy shift. It is historical policies and practices that we've mentioned that has built massive mistrust. Can you say more about the role this mistrust is playing and, and how we overcome it and get people the vaccine while also validating and respecting that the mistrust comes from a very real place? Sure, sure. Um, and it's not just historical. You know, the, the historical perspective seems to be getting a lot of play. You know, most people have heard of the infamous, you know, Tuskegee syphilis study, you know, where, where um, this um, researcher just purposefully left, um, you know, a, a number of um, 
black folks um, infected with syphilis, you know, and just let them die just so that he could test them. And a lot of people have heard of um, this um, um, stealing of a woman's cancer cell lines. Uh, her name was Henrietta Lacks, and she was a black woman who actually lived in Baltimore, by the way, um, who had yes. an aggressive cancer. And they used her and they stole her cells, basically. And, and, and her cells are basically the standard cells used around the world now, you know, for, 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 for research. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we've heard of all types of, of historical misuses. And so that leads to an initial mistrust. But it's not just historical. It's happening every day on a day to day basis. You know, when you're black, when you're poor, especially when you're homeless and you go into a medical facility, you are not treated as a first class citizen. You know, there's there's a stigma surrounding homelessness. Um, there, there are certain implicit unconscious biases you know, that, that, that doctors, um, um, you know, nurses from privileged backgrounds, you know, who go to these very expensive medical schools, you know, will subconsciously express towards you. And I have encountered it, you know, even though I'm a somewhat, I hate to say it this way, an articulate person, okay, you know, uh, they will not spend as much time with you explaining things to you and getting your consent and telling you what all the options are, because I don't know if it's you're not just worth it or, or, or they feel that that you just won't absorb it or, or whatever the reason is. You know, doctors, study upon study upon study has shown that doctors spend less time for uh, um, talking about the options um, that, that people have towards treatment uh, with people of color versus, um, you know, um, white folks. And so it's, it's ongoing. And so let's not overemphasize the historical. Let's talk about what is happening today. Um, and especially these attitudes are, are especially harsh towards people experiencing homelessness. And this is really at the foundation of these criminalization laws. Um, you know, so this goes back to your, your question about policies. One thing that we can do in terms of policy is stop the criminalization of homelessness because then that uh, buys into this whole discredited view that people are homeless because of character flaws. They're, 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 they're homeless be, be because of you know, something wrong with them. We need to take a much more trauma-informed view to look at the systemic issues that cause homelessness. And once we do that, then we get out of the person and, and, and we downplay and we would start to work on the stigmatization of people. And then that will have, in turn, a direct effect on how people are treated, both in healthcare facilities, both in terms of housing, um, you know, in, in terms of all of these um, institutions that you have to go to, to to live a normal life. So, you know, we, we need to stop the criminalization of homelessness um, as a general matter, and we need to be much more aware, specifically looking at people through a racial justice, a racial equity lens when they come into hospitals to understand that, you know, you may have some initial subconscious bias against this person and at least bring it up to the forefront. Just just um, a, a month ago when I went in for, for a um, series of tests at my own healthcare for the homeless facility, you know, the doctor had prescribed a bunch of tests, blood tests for me. And then when he left and the nurse, you know, said, okay, you're free to go. And I was like, well, what about my blood test? I, I thought you were going to draw blood, you know, and I'm actually chasing her as I'm asking this because she's like going into one office to another office to another office, you know, and I said, well, look, I know you're busy, but I'm supposed to get a blood test. 
oh, you're supposed to fast first. And so that's not going to happen until January 11th. No, well, no one ever told me that. <laughs> okay. And so, you know, I, I'm stuck at this point of wondering, would she be that impatient, you know, with somebody, you know, who, who had a suit and tie on and, and, and who was white? I don't know. It, 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 t- it tells me that it's not very patient centered to tell somebody that they're very busy and don't have the time to explain things to them. So, I think that that is just another indication of those subconscious implicit bias biases that that, that, that we have. That would go a long ways um, once you start to understand that and address it towards creating the type of positive connections that we need to foster trust in the system. I mean, there's nothing that we can do about the Tuskegee study that everybody learns about by the time they're 14, 15 years old, okay, in the black community, all right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing we can do about those 1930s, 1950s, 1960s things, but there's everything we can do about the disrespect that we often express towards people of color and poor people in general and people of color in particular. Thank you so much for that really, really important correction that this is not a historical Thing we're overcoming this is current everything you described is is major systemic change that needs to be done that we all need to be working on what can we do now when we have vaccines getting ready and people there that need to be vaccinated what, what can we be doing right now with this vaccine i think in in, in my opinion uh, you know as i said uh, you know aside from what i was talking about you know the um, you know criminalization issues and and, and the general attitudes you know, working on the general attitudes, you know, that, that, that people have um, as a practical thing. I mean, I'm really happy to hear what Katie said earlier about vaccine ambassadors. You know, I, I, I think that should be expanded more. You know, when you have vaccine ambassadors that look like you, you know, that come from the environment that you came from, that can help to establish those positive, productive connections that you need you know, to engage people and to bring them into the system. Because that along with peer support specialists, you know, people who have the lived experience, you know, of, of overcoming the challenge of addictions or, or, or mental illness, um, who actually go back and use that, you know, experience to meet people where they're at and to then engage people. That's important too. Those are the ways that will overcome this resistance. Okay, this desire not to be a guinea pig, and, and they're always experimenting on us, and, and, and why should I be another one for them to, to experiment on, you know, get rid of that feeling, to overcome that, that feeling. And to also tell people that any side effects that you get are going to be nothing compared to the illness itself, you know, and, and to just put it into my story um, that I started off with earlier on, my symptoms only lasted like three or four days. And if I truly got the vaccine, I'll find out next week, by the way, then they think that it's probably because of that first shot that made the symptoms, you know, so short. It was less than a week. We'll find out if it was truly vaccine or not. But anything that happens in terms of side effects are really much, much better than ending up in an ICU or having a ventilator tube stuck down your throat or anything like that. So, so we, we need to get that information out. And the best way to do that is with people who have been there. Yeah, I would just like to amplify everything he said. I think David is spot on and, and has very similar 
theories on that as I do into how we address this particular vaccine movement. It is not our our patients, our clients' responsibility to help us as providers um, address our own biases. That is that is not their burden to carry. That is something we must shoulder. And I think um, David said it perfectly by focusing on the history makes people makes the provider maybe feel a little more comfortable because it can it, it can they can distance themselves with it from it a little bit and it doesn't mm-hmm. talk about the the internal work the individual work that we need to keep doing but for this particular vaccine rollout now is the time and so the ongoing work of racism in healthcare is is ongoing work and and hopefully this will be something that we can put in the category of helping us take a step forward. But regardless, we need to help people get safe and and getting a vaccine is a a major part of that. So I think often the clinic I worked in in Baltimore, um, front desk and security staff are gonna be essential in helping, in having those conversations. They are already having those conversations. They have the trusted relationships with the vast majority of people who walk through the doors every day. So making sure they have the opportunity to get their questions answered um, so that they can make sure that they're at a position of, yes, yes, I want this vaccine. And yes, I think it is a a worthwhile um, step to take in, in stemming this pandemic and whatever risk benefit they're weighing in their own personal lives. Um, But making sure that they then can be equipped to have factual conversations with the people that they have trusted relationships with, both in their personal life and in their professional life. We are hearing Courtney Platson, our clinical director with the National Council, talked about in her clinic that people are specifically saying, are you going to get the vaccine? Um, And when she says yes, they then, so many are saying, well, I'm going to get it because you're getting it. That is that that trusted relationship. Um, that is going to be essential. And so if she, every client that she sees that gets there to that po- point of yes, um, that's another cohort of people that are getting vaccinated. So everybody that David talks to that gets to a point of yes and those experiences. And I think what he said about symptoms is so true. Um, vaccines can, you know, they they have acknowledged that there can be some uncomfortable side effects to this vaccine. Um, Most are just inconveniences, um, but not to be minimized that they are real and they are a person's experience, but that they, that none of them have proven to result in somebody being put on a ventilator or losing their life. Um, And that is such an important thing to be talking about and saying, yes, they, I'm not going to say it was a, a perfectly easy vaccine to get, um, you know, and hearing that from somebody like David, but then saying, but I'm here and I haven't had any negative side effects. And that was months ago. That perspective is also going to be significant for somebody to be. So lifting up the stories of people in the trials, I can't think of a, a, a vaccine or a medication um, that was, that we wanted to globally implement in my lifetime, that the trial was so recent. You know, generally speaking, we think of things like that are used globally, flu vaccines and and other basic vaccinations and medications like Advil and Tylenol that are kind of used globally by all communities. That happened in a different lifetime for most of us. Um, we are here living among members of this 
um, these vaccine trials. So their voices being amplified um, and then members of the individual communities. I just think that that is that, that vaccine ambassador is going to be um, and trusted relationships are going to be essential to a successful vaccine campaign. I thank you both for your your perspective and your insight on this and for both of your work, David, especially you and your community, an unofficial ambassador. To close out, we ask all of our guests, what is something you are hopeful about? Um, vaccines. But that's the easy answer because that's the focus of the podcast. I think that the thing that I'm most um, hopeful about is the people that are going to be the leaders that are going to be lifted from this whole experience. Um, the communities have come up with incredible, innovative ways to end homelessness, to address the daily struggles of individuals experiencing homelessness, um, and to think more creatively of how to care and provide the best care for our community. Um, and this is being done by frontline workers daily. And I think the leaders that are coming as a result of this pandemic, um, both within individuals within our community and, and certainly at a national scale uh, are incredibly inspiring. I am so incredibly hopeful about the future that can be under that type of leadership. And I agree, you know, in, in the midst of this public health crisis, you know, <laughs> emergency and, and economic crisis, um, I, I think COVID has really shown a light on, on healthcare disparities. You know, I mean, they've always been there, but now we really see how, how healthcare disparities really determine, you know, whether someone is black, whether someone is elderly, you know, are, are maybe disproportionately more vulnerable you know, than, than other people are. And so I, I really see some really good things that could conceivably possibly happen, you know, out of this national emergency, you know, that would be much more sensitive to healthcare disparities, will be much more sensitive to, to inequities, you know, income inequities, you know, that, that people who are poor, people who are, who are black, you know, um, just have uh, much, much worse healthcare outcomes. And we need to do something about that. Um, the health of the poor, the health of the Black affects the community as a whole and affects everybody. And so we'll see how we're all connected. So, so I really think that out of this you know, immense national tragedy, that there may be some really good things that may arise. So I'm very hopeful. Thank you both so much.